Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback format. So do go out and get a couple. And six of them are available at Audible in uh, what you would call audio format. Also at... What is it now? iTunes and Amazon. So please take advantage of one or the other, but take advantage of them, will you? (laughs) And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Very good, Kev. What's happening with you? I'm good. I'm back from the coast. Uh, As I told you, I was doing some surf fishing out there, beautiful night surf fishing. Mm -hmm. Um, One night I caught a bunch of little fish, and then I decided to put the big hooks on another night and uh, put some big chunks of mullet fish on there. And unfortunately, I donated three hooks to the cause. (laughs) Well, Something big out there with teeth was biting through my leader. Yeah. So yeah. now we're gonna have to bring a little more gun <laughs> and get some get some uh, stainless steel leaders going. Yeah, that's it. When you know they're out there, you gotta go with the big guns. <laughs> you know, I did a little interview on a podcast the other night, Kev. Uh this fella had heard me uh on coast to coast radio and uh, wasn't a listener to our podcast, didn't even know we had a podcast. He's one of these YouTube guys, mm-hmm. and I went on there with him, and it was interesting. You know, uh, he had a lot of questions. He calls himself uh, the world's greatest skeptic or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we interviewed for about an hour, and I had a good time. You know, I just like to get out there and uh, talk to people, uh, about the subject matter. We talked about a lot of things. We were talking about ghosts and uh, demons and Bigfoot and all kinds of stuff. But Well, it's good to face off with the skeptics, too. You know, it makes for good conversation, good interaction. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm into the whole McGilla, you know, and I'm used to the debate format, you know. Right. So right. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't take offense to anybody who disbelieves. I mean, it's easy to disbelieve, right? Hey, I haven't seen one. <laughs> exactly. You know, and here we are chatting it up about Bigfoot, you know, and and uh, picking apart videos and talking about uh, uh, testimonials and, and coming up to what, with our own conclusions, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, uh, what can I tell you? You know, 
but it was interesting, and I enjoyed doing it. And if any of you people are out there, your podcasters, your whatever, uh, you want to have me on, talk stories, tell some stories, just contact us via the uh, the link on BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, and I'll give you a call. I'll be happy to join you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'd love to be a part of your podcasts, YouTube channels, whatever. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. Yeah. So, Kev, what do you have? Uh, what do you have in your back pocket today? Uh, we're going to go back in time again. Okay, almost a hundred years. Wow. To 1924, and one of the most famous Bigfoot encounter uh, uh, accounts, and this comes from the story of Albert Ostman. Do you know this one, Bill? God, it just uh, the name yeah, just you'll ring- know it when I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the name about. is ringing in my head like I should know this, but I have to say I don't recall it at the moment. Yeah, so this is the story that the account that he gave that was titled I Was Kidnapped by a Sasquatch. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, yep. So it's pretty cool. So uh, Ostman, Albert Ostman, was a Swedish Canadian logger. And I've seen some interviews with him on YouTube. And I have to say, he sounds a little bit more Scottish, but uh, he claims to be Swedish. But he's got, to me, that Scottish accent. Okay. Um, but he claimed back in 1924 that he was kidnapped while he was sleeping in a sleeping bag one night and up in British Columbia in a place called Toba Inlet and carried away for several hours. And uh, he didn't fall asleep while he was being carried. But when they finally, when this thing dropped him, where it was taking him to, he got his head out of the sleeping bag and uh, looked around and saw these four Sasquatch, like a family of Sasquatch. He refers to one as the old man, kind of the patriarch, and he says that he was eight feet tall and weighed about 800 pounds. Wow. Yeah, and then the, the matriarch, or the old lady, as he calls it, six to 700 pounds and seven feet tall. And then one male and one female childlike Bigfoot. Wow, really interesting, you know. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and the, uh, the uh, I'm always interested in the numbers that people apply to the weight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not skeptical about what these things weigh. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Yeah. But when somebody says 800 pounds... To me, in my mind, that is a more legitimate number. Uh, 700, 600, 800. I mean, I know what what an obese 500-pound human looks like. Right. And if you put that on an 8-foot frame uh, in in a true bulk, you know, in true bulk, thick arms, thick back, thick thighs, big feet, you know, 800 is a uh, palpable number for me. You know Chugundo. what I mean? Chugundo. Yeah. Chugundo. No Gigantic. doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. So this guy was a logger, and he also did construction work. And basically, he says that he followed around different logging and construction work, you know, all around the continent, really. Okay. And he had heard, uh, or he was looking to get away a little bit and, you know, just take a little bit of time off. And um, he he thought of doing some uh, gold mining, mining for gold. And he heard there was a good spot in British Columbia at the time in this area of the Toba Inlet. So uh, he journeyed up there. Um, he took a uh, Union steamship boat to a place called Lund, British Columbia. Lund. I wonder, Bill, if that's the same, if that's where the boats are made, you know, the aluminum boats. Lund boats. I yeah. don't know. I'll have to look that up. I don't know. But, you know, I got the Jones for one of their 18-footers. <laughs> By the way, Lund, if you're listening and you want to <laughs> donate a boat to me, I'm yeah, ready. Maybe you want to sponsor the podcast and donate two boats. That's right. We'll sponsor <laughs> you every time we're on the air. Just trailer that boat and a 40-horse Evan Rude right down here, and I won't shut That's up right. about you. Put it in a stamped self-addressed package. <laughs> <laughs> BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com um, so, so this Toba Inlet is really interesting, Bill I looked it up and it's just northwest of the Garibaldi Provincial Park And Whistler, British Columbia If you remember a few weeks ago We were over in Whistler Looking at some of the accounts that take place over there So a bit of a hot hotbed of Bigfoot sightings. Yeah, and it's a hotbed now, and it was a hotbed then, if you believe what he said. Exactly, exactly. See, you know, Kev, these things all come together for me. You know, it, they're like neighborhoods, places where people have lived for a long time, places where animals have lived for a long time, and places where Bigfoot has been for a long time. No doubt about it. Yeah. It's not like they're just showing up because they have nothing to do. They've been around there because it's an accommodating area for them and the way they live. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. you know, no, it's just no, it's good. And I want to make up one other point, too. So we talked about the locale, but also this point in time, in 1924, um, you may recall in that same year, was when the Oregonian, uh, you know, Portland Daily newspaper had that famous article that we reported on of the group of five miners that were prospecting on the southern slope of Mount St. Helens, and they were attacked by the Sasquatch that were throwing rocks at them. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's not going away, you know what I mean? No, These no but things- it's interesting. That same point in time... Yeah. These two things happen not that far apart, right? I mean, southern part of British Columbia and uh, and central uh, western Washington state is not that far away. No, not at all. Not so. at all. And, you know, uh, uh, that belt of habitation uh, seems to be a, a, a likable spot for them. You know, we could say, oh, yeah, they're here, they're there, they're here, they're there. But... Like that map we had, Kev, of the sightings over the past uh, 10 years or whatever it was, 100 yep, years. Yep, yep. That area is like glowing white because of all the sightings that oh, go it's on there. the place. And I used to live out there. So, I mean, it is not shocking to me at all. Like there is, it is one, beautiful country, and two, no humans around. Yeah. 
So you know, hey, very look. desolate. Lots of food. You know, just a great place for these creatures to uh, to uh, come from. Yeah, and you know what? I don't even want to be around any stinking humans. <laughs> ah! Especially in this era of COVID nineteen. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So what happened to this bloke? Yeah, so first off, so this story didn't get reported, so it's kind of interesting, Bill. So Ostman sees this thing and has this unbelievable encounter in 1924. And then in 1957, he comes forward and relates the incident to a journalist by the name of John Green. And uh, uh, John Green writes a story about this. In uh, the Agassiz Harrison Advance newspaper, and it's called I Was Kidnapped by a Sasquatch. That was the story. Uh And then um, um, he ended up later on writing a book. John Green wrote a book about this and included the Osman encounter from an interview with Osman, which we're going to talk about some of the uh, excerpts directly from that interview. So it's pretty interesting. Excellent. But what's also really interesting, because I know our listeners are there saying like, okay, this is some crazy guy, you know, makes this whole thing up, right, et cetera. But what's really interesting, Osman took multiple lie detector tests. He was interrogated by a magistrate who was well known for making criminals crack under uh, questioning. And Osman never cracked under the questioning, never goofed up his story in any way, never failed the lie detector test, and then also, importantly, never made a penny from his story. Yeah, and uh, lo and behold, how many people would put themselves in that position not even be making a dime? I mean, you're yeah, like— and a- by the way, being ridiculed, Yeah, right? yeah. You're like a like laughing stock. This guy's stock. carried away in his sleeping bag. Like, come on, you know. Yeah, like you. Most people would say, "What a stupid story," you know. I mean, you know, in the time of COVID, they left the liquor stores open. Uh, when he went gold mining, he must have had a knapsack full of schnapps or something. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you know what? Well, first off, I don't know that there's anything wrong with having a knapsack full of schnapps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one loaf of bread and eight jugs of schnapps. That's his (laughs) supply. And some matches. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know know what comes to my mind, too, Kim? Think of the guts of this guy. Uh, Just taking the steamer up there, he is about some gold. Packing up his stuff and walking out into nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. So basically, that's what happened. But he also hires this Native American or uh, indigenous uh, people of Canada, you know, First Nation, whatever they call them up in Canada, whatever the politically correct term is, hires him to take him up to this place, the exact place of Toba Inlet. And while they're up there, this this guy is his guide is telling him about this creature called the Sasquatch in 1924. And uh, uh, Ostman is like, I never heard of this. Like, what is it? And he said, well, basically, they have hair all over their bodies, but they're not animals. They're people. They're very big people living in our mountains. 
And he says, my uncle saw tracks of one that were two feet long. And he said, one older Indian saw one that was over eight feet tall. So he's going up there to gold mine and gets in a conversation with this uh, uh, native or Indian fellow, yeah, whatever guide. you want to call him. Yeah, guide, right? Right, and he starts telling him about Bigfoot. Isn't that something? Yeah, it is freaking unbelievable. Yeah. So he gets all of his provisions and that to be up there for a few weeks. And then he goes out, and in his account, he talks about looking, hiking along for a couple of days, looking for, like, the perfect campsite, right? So, And then he says, two days later, I found an exceptionally good campsite. There were two very large cypress trees growing close together and near a rock wall with a nice spring just below these trees. So he intended to make this his permanent camp. He cut up a lot of brush for a bed between the trees, rigged up a pole from this rock to hang his pack sack on, and arranged some some flat rocks for a fireplace for cooking. And he, he writes, you know, he had a really classy setup. And that's when things began to happen. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so uh, that first night after he sets up the camp, um, he noticed, he wakes up, he, he sleeps like a rock, and he says he's a very heavy sleeper and nothing disturbs him. Um, he noticed that things have been disturbed during the night, you know, but he's like nothing missing that he could tell. And he said, I roasted a grouse on a stick for breakfast. Huh. But he says that night I filled up the magazine on my rifle, following your advice, Bill, even back in 1924. Good job. And he said, I still had one full <laughs> box of 20 shells and six shells in my coat pocket. That night, I laid my rifle under the edge of my sleeping bag, and he said, I thought a porcupine had visited me the night before. And he said, porkies like leather. <laughs> he calls them porkies. <laughs> so I put my shoes in the bottom of my sleeping bag. He said, next morning, my pack sack had been emptied out. Someone had turned the sack upside down. It was still hanging on the pole from the shoulder straps as I had hung it. Then I noticed one half-pound package of prunes was missing, and also my pancake flour was missing. Wow. And then he notes that his salt bag, right, you carried a lot of salt with you back then, was not touched. And he says, porcupines always took the salt because that's one of their favorite things. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, here we go again, a guy that knows the details, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, in his account, and I say that all the time when I talk to people, they teach me things I don't know. And, you know, the fact that porcupines don't touch the salt, you wouldn't know that unless you were a, a camper. Or, first of no all, you'd idea. have to be in an area where there were porcupines. Yeah. And you'd have to have knowledge either handed down or firsthand that they don't touch that stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, so then he says, that night, it was cloudy, and it looked like it might rain. Um, he took, like, a really detailed account of how everything was arranged. He left his clothes on and slept with all his clothes on, uh, other than his shoes, which, again, he put in the bottom of his sleeping bag to keep him away from the porcupines, if it was porcupines. And uh, he put his rifle alongside him inside the sleeping bag, and he was really trying to stay awake to catch his visitor, but he fell asleep. Uh. And get this. He said he was awakened by something picking me up. Whew. 
Can you yeah. imagine? No. <laughs> Holy smoke. I've done a lot of camping in a sleeping bag, and I cannot imagine that something is picking up. But it's interesting. He says that his first thought was it must be a, a snow slide, like a bit of an avalanche, right? Which that makes sense. But he said there was no snow around his camp. Yeah, it's, it's just odd. You don't know what to think, right? You're moving. Am I dreaming? Uh, you know, picture yourself in a moment in the bag getting picked up. You're, you're coming out of your sleep. What the hell is going on, you know? No, and it's pretty interesting. So he he uh, says that, like, he basically, he doesn't put say it in these words, but this is my interpretation of what he's saying. You know, if you could imagine you're in a sleeping bag and something that, weighs a thousand pounds and has the strength to match, picks up the sleeping bag from the open end and throws it over your shoulder, you know, a bit like Santa Claus. Yeah. (laughs) So where are you going to be? You're going to be in the bottom of that sack. And he's crunched up in the bottom, like with his knees bent, his feet underneath his butt, and just like can barely breathe. Yeah, in in this sack. In this sack. Wow. And and he can't tell, like, what's going on. Like he said, for a minute, he thought he was on horseback. But then he felt he could feel that whoever it was was walking, carrying him. And, of course, at this time, he doesn't know how big it is, right? Like, he just knows, like, I'm in the bottom of the sack. And he says he thinks he's going to suffocate, but he can't move. And he's in a lot of pain, like his legs, from being so cramped up, right? Now, did he say he shouted? Uh, or, or? Nothing. No, he that's doesn't a, mention that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, he could have just overlooked that, but it's a little weird, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be screaming, "Put me down!" Yeah, you know, something. I, I mean, you don't know what's going on, right? right? Like, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like, yeah, yeah. your logic makes sense, but he doesn't know that someone picked him up, right? He's a big guy, yeah, and he's in a sleeping bag sleeping, and all of a sudden he's like, the end is closed, and he's in the bottom of it in a ball. Like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So he he talks in detail, like in this account, in detail about going up and down various hills and valleys with this thing on his back, right? So uh, with him on this thing's back, sorry. And uh, and then he gets to the point where, uh, you know, it stops and it drops him on the ground, and he, he climbs out of the thing, but it's still dark, and he hears, like, this chatter, but it's in some kind of language that he has no idea what it is, right? Mm. So here's a Swedish guy in British Columbia that has spent time in the United States, and he's listening to this. He's like, I don't know what this is, this chatter. And he couldn't see anything. No, because it was dark out, right? And there's no lights or anything like that. Uh-huh. So, you know, he starts to, he's rubbing his legs and that, trying to get some circulation back in his legs because he's been in this ball for hours getting carried by this thing. And it's starting to get a little bit lighter. And he, and he says he could see them quite clearly. He could make out forms of four people, two big ones and two little ones. But they were all covered in hair and had no clothes on at all. Hmm. Yeah. And he said they look like a family, an old man, an old lady, and two young ones, one boy and one girl. Wow. And he says the boy and the girl seemed to be terrified of me. And the old lady didn't seem too pleased that the old man had dragged this guy home in the sleeping bag. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he thinks that the the the, the two old ones, two young ones, he thinks that the old one was the one that was carrying him? Yeah, the man. Wow. Definitely. Yeah, that's his theory. Because the little ones were afraid of him, and uh, the, the matriarch really didn't want anything to do with him. Yeah, and he thinks he was in this bag for a couple of hours? A couple of hours, yeah. I mean, from what we hear about the way Bigfoots can cover ground, uh, this thing must have hoofed it quite a long ways to get him back to where he dropped him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's He talks about it in detail. I'll give the name of the book here in a second. But, you know, they... You know, he, he, he can, he's listening and paying attention to whether he's going uphill or downhill, you know, and, and he's going up and down and up and down and up and down again, right? So definitely covered a lot of ground. How do you think he knew he was going up and downhill? I guess from the angle, you know, I mean, you're in the dark and this thing, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, well, I guess so. Yeah, if you felt your weight shifting to one side, you could assume you were going uphill. Right. Or then yeah, if you were being... off of his back versus bouncing against him, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, super cool. So um, then, so he's there, and he's he uh, the sun comes up, and he's there for two days. And they're kind of going about their business like a family would, you know, and leaving him alone, you know, like walking away and stuff like that and... Doing kind of, I, I want, he doesn't put it this way, but their chores, whatever they're doing, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. They're not doing laundry and dishes and stuff, but, you know, roaming around their little camp there. Uh-huh. And uh, and then he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I got to get out of here. You know, he's kind of making up his mind that he's going to get out of here. And um, he uh, starts to walk, you know, he gets his backpack together and he starts to walk out of the camp and he also has his rifle don't forget so this is pretty interesting like he's got this rifle but he's got these giant creatures and he's it was a 30 30 rifle and he's like i don't know how much of an effect it would have had on these folks you know and he's like if i hurt one of them and don't kill them the others are definitely going to kill me you know it's just it's just weird uh why spend two days there without trying to move out yeah, well, and he well he mentions that he didn't because uh, he was doing okay, like he was able to nibble on the biscuits and stuff like that that he had in his food, and they weren't bothering him. He wasn't comfortable, right? This is pretty freak freaky show he's sitting in, uh, and he's the main event. Uh, but you know, it takes him two days where he says, "I'm getting out of here." So he gets he gets packs up his stuff and his. Uh, Rucksack rolls up his sleeping bag, and then he uh, grabs his rifle and he starts for heading in the direction he thinks is the right way. And this old man Sasquatch, as he calls it, holds up his hands as though it's going to push him back. And he's kind of trying to communicate with sign language and pointing, like where he wants to go. And um, you know the the uh, big fella's going to have nothing to do with it. So he's trying to figure out what to do, and um, he sits back down, and he's trying to figure out, like, what can I give these creatures? So he has some snuff, you know, some chewing tobacco, and um, he threw an empty can 
to the to the young male Sasquatch, and he's running around kind of playing with this can, and then he threw a full can of it to the uh, to the patriarch, the you know the the father of mm-hmm. the clan, right? Mm-hmm. And the father and takes the whole thing and puts the whole can of uh, chewing tobacco in his mouth, Ooh. which is a bad idea if you ever did chewing tobacco. Well, I <laughs> yeah. can't imagine. Yeah. So this guy gets like this big Sasquatch, like sits down and his eyes are like going up to the top of his head and, you know, obviously feeling sick and stuff like that. And then uh, Osman says, "Okay, this is time. And he just takes off and he starts running uphill you know, out of there where he thinks like the gap is between the two mountains he's looking at. He's been looking at for two days Uh and he runs up that. He looks down. He doesn't see anything coming after him. He runs down the other side, runs up another hill again. And then he starts to get to where he can see salt water, you know, the salt water of the inlet. Okay. And, uh, he makes it down to a place called the Salmon Arm Branch of the uh, Seychelles Inlet. And from there, he got the Union boat back to Vancouver. And he said that's his last prospecting trip that he ever went on. Holy smoke. Yeah. yeah and this was written about in a book uh, that John Green wrote. Um, this this particular book was published, you know, the article was in the 50s, but then he published this in a book called Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us by John Green, and that was published in 1978. Now, did, uh, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Did Green have permission uh, to write his story? or was oh, yeah, he... yeah. Yeah. So it's basically an interview with him. Okay. Yeah, and you can see, like, I'll put some links to some of the short interviews, not the full interview. I couldn't find that on YouTube with Albert Osman um, up on uh, BigfootTerrorInWoods.com. And it's pretty interesting. You know, he's credible. Yeah, and again, you know, he passed all these lie detector tests and cross-examination and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, Kevin, it's so far out there. You know, when you hear this stuff, it's like, what? Yeah. You know, and I would imagine a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast and say, you know, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that type of response, right? There's a lot of details out there, too, on this story. You know, it's his story. Yeah. But he talks exactly about, like, the brand of the hard tack that he was eating. Yeah. You know, and the butter and, you know— the number of shells for his rifle. And again, they could never get him to trip up any of it. Like he gives a lot of details. Yeah. You know something. And I have an, I have an account from two women, uh, who was sleeping, uh, atop of like an overlook area. And the one girl found herself being lifted up by her feet in Mm -hmm. a sleeping bag, staring at a Sasquatch and screamed and it dropped her. Well, so very similar circumstance. She didn't get carried for a freaking three hours in the bottom of the bag. Right. But this thing had approached her and grabbed the bag and picked her up legs high. Uh, obviously had some type of intent, right? Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in time. You know, I, I go through a lot of these accounts very randomly. 
Yeah. And uh, but it's a similar set of circumstances. Yeah, super cool. I mean, I had seen this a while back and then came across more and more details on it. I was like, this is, hey, it's worth talking about. And then I like it because it's in that same year as the, uh, what what is now known as Ape Canyon, the Ape Canyon incident on the southern slopes of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. And again, you can read about these in the newspaper archives from back in 1924. Interesting. Really interesting. Wow. So is that it for that, Kev? That's it. Wow. So let me jump in here. That was really interesting. You know, and and that account, you know, these are the stories where I say, you know, you never know who's listening for the first time, who's never heard about Bigfoot, uh, and who's never heard us talk or anybody talk about it before. So, you know, some of these stories... Uh, you could hear them again and again over time, uh, just as a refresher, and then maybe be may, it might be the first time for somebody else, you know. Oh, no doubt. And I, I mean, Bill, just like you and others out there, I listen to the accounts, you know, different perspectives on the same account. Yeah, because you learn something new with each perspective. You yeah, know, this no is doubt. my take on what I read. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I you mean, know, I'm many... not saying I, I have it better than anyone else. It's my take. Right, right. And that's it. You know, and how many times have we looked at the uh, Patty film? Exactly. Or or talked about that? I mean, a dozen, two dozen, a right. hundred? Right. You know, so it's all, uh, it's all grist for the mill, as I say. Well, I have a really interesting uh, evidentiary uh, account here today. And let me just dig right into it. We'll get into it. Uh, this following uh, account was told to me by George and Thomas Harrison, two brothers who decided to do a little hiking while in Alaska and ran across some very interesting subject matter along the route. And this is what the two Harrison boys had to say. The Pinnell Mountain Hiking Trail is located some 90 miles north of Fairbanks, Alaska, and can be accessed from three different areas along the Steese Highway. My brother and I had gone up there from British Columbia to do a little hiking for the week and check out the midnight sun. It was June of 2005 when we arrived at the trail. There are no facilities whatsoever in this area, so everything that you will need for the hike needs to be brought in by you and carried out by you as well. The two of us love to hike and hunt, but for this little stint, we mainly wanted to experience the midnight sun, which is viewable between June 18th and the 25th. The entire trail is 24 miles long and is not easily traversed. I would say that the average hiker would need three full days to complete it at the rate of eight miles per day, whereas stronger hikers like my brother and I could accomplish the same in two days' time if we push our limits. There can be a fair amount of wildlife in here, so it is always our personal preference to carry sidearms with us when we hike in such locations. 
This is the home of grizzlies, wolves, lynx, wolverines, and at certain times of the year, bands of caribou. This caribou migration had just happened prior to our arriving there in the month of June. The midnight sun phenomena can be viewed from most of the trail's high points. So our plan was to hike to just beyond an area known as Swamp Saddle and across the Plank Trail. On, and cross the Plank Trail. On this trail, areas of what are known as benched or planked trail have been created to help hikers traverse steep slopes and areas of muskeg. Both of these terrains are quite treacherous without these types of aids. At any rate, our plan was to hike a couple of miles more having crossed a muskeg to an elevation of about 4,700 feet and set our camp for the night. We had entered at 12-mile summit trailhead as we began our hike. We were carrying water, food, and a small Coleman heater and some backup fuel. There are freshwater streams which can be found here, but they dry up as the melt dissipates, so it is always best to carry plenty of water and a first aid kit. We also always bring a small water purification kit just in case. So we were well into our first day's hike, working our way along one of the many steep slopes, when we started hearing some whistling. We knew it to be immediately the sounds of a rock rabbit. These creatures live in and among the talus rock areas along steep slopes and are known for their whistling. Shortly after hearing it, we had sighted a couple of these little buggers for ourselves. And one of the other great attractions in this region are the wildflowers. And we had timed our hike at the point when they would be at their maximum growth. There are literally dozens of species to behold, and they carpet these alpine tundra slopes. They are simply one of the most beautiful spectacles you will ever see, and many people come here just to photograph the flowers in season. So nearing the end of our first day, we had made better than excellent time and gone well beyond our planned stopping point. We were now close to Pinnell Mountain, at a point where an alternate trail met with ours. This trail actually begins at the Eagle Creek Roadhouse and cuts across the region we were hiking. I believe this trail is about six miles long and is designed for those who cannot commit to the entire hike. Of course, anyone can enter and exit at any time simply by turning around and walking back when you think you've had enough. We set up our tent and sat for some two hours, absorbing the beauty of our surroundings and the midnight sun, and it was absolutely breathtaking to say the least. Having had a good night's sleep and well ahead of schedule to complete the hike in two days' time, we had commenced our finish, passing over Porcupine Dome, heading now towards Eagle Summit Trailhead. We reached an area looking down over a spot known as Grognan Gulch, which has a creek running through it that I believe was either called Caribou or Bonanza, but I'm not certain. 
Anyway, we had decided to send, descend off of the trail proper and have a look around below. As you begin your descent, you start to encounter a lot of different plant and tree varieties. Dwarf birches, alpine bearberries, blueberries, sedges, and forbs. And as we were now entering Grognan Gulch and nearing the creek, we were walking through stands of alders and willows. It was just magnificent, and my brother and I were making our way over to the creek when we noticed a large carcass lying in the trees. As we walked over to take a look, we realized immediately that it was a caribou, and we knew that they had just passed through this area some two weeks or so ago. This carcass was maybe 50 feet away from the creek, so we figured the herd had stopped to water and a predator had taken this one out. As we neared the carcass, we noticed immediately that both of the front legs were snapped cleanly in half. One of the bones was next to the carcass, and one of them was missing. We could also see the animal's head was turned around backwards, and the spinal bones were detached. Now, just so you understand... My brother and I had run across many such kills through the years hunting. In fact, we had, if we had come here a week or two later, more than likely everything we were now seeing may well be gone, including the bones. So I would have to say that this kill was maybe two weeks old or less. We stood there wondering what had broken this creature's legs and twisted its head around. This was certainly not the work of a grizzly or anything else that's present in the region. As I remember, we were both kind of wandering around looking at the ground for tracks or any other kind of evidence. When my brother said, check this out. At this point, the creek seemed to have shrunk in size. It was evident that there had been a good deal more water here several weeks ago that was further diminishing as the days went by. We were standing there, looking down on a series of what I would call enormous footprints in what had once been soft, muddy earth. The receding water and good weather had allowed them to dry perfectly. They were large and human-like in appearance, and there were two different sizes of prints. We knelt down to measure them. One appeared to be some two feet long or so, and the others were perhaps 16 to 18 inches. Both were very wide and had oddly shaped wide toes, and both sets of prints were still visible going into and out of the alders and the willows. So whatever creatures had come out of these trees to the creek had retreated back into them. It was now more than obvious to the two of us that these creatures were responsible for the attack on the caribou. My brother and I both knew what we were viewing the uh, my brother and I both knew that we were viewing the footprints of two, if not more, Bigfoot, who must have stalked the caribou at the creek. There was absolutely no doubt in our minds about it. There's nothing here, including humans, that could in any way mimic what we were looking at, 
And the thought that anyone would or could come all the way down where we were in wooden feet or on some such nonsense was absurd. Why, it was totally off the cuff, a whim, that my brother and I were here standing in the first place. Nobody else would descend from the trail to stand where we found ourselves looking at these prints. Having stood here and looked at the carcass, the broken legs and nests, uh, neck, none of this could have been staged or created by us or anybody else at this location. And that is what we saw. It was utterly fantastic. What do you think of that, Kev? Wow. So 90 miles north of Fairbanks, that's, there's not much up there. Yeah, so, and, uh, you know, again, I'm taken aback by these guys and the knowledge, the wildflowers, the animals, the this, the that, the, when the caribou were coming through. and I mean, obviously, these guys knew what they were doing. You, know, well, yeah, you don't go up there, you know, 90 miles north of Fairbanks without knowing what you're doing, if you're, unless you're planning on not coming back. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Bill, now, now we're going to get letters, right? People are going to write in and say, I can't believe Kevin doesn't know what these are, but whistling rabbits? Like, what the hell's a whistling rabbit? I, he describes, he says they're rock rabbits. They whistle. I know, but that's crazy, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you can look up or verify well, or will. whatever. But I will as soon as we're done. But, I mean, do they whistle like the seven dwarfs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they do. You know, maybe they're whistling Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to be whistling that these days, <laughs> even if you're a rabbit. But yeah, I mean, I agree. The details are unbelievable. And and I will say, you know, when you're up there, Bill, it's shocking in the summertime, like they're talking about the flowers and even what's called fireweed, which is like the the simplest of all wildfire wildflowers. When you're there for a couple of weeks, this this plant changes like color multiple times. And it's just more beautiful every day. It's unbelievable, it's the color. It really is amazing. In I a mean, place yeah. that's basically frozen tundra for most of the year, when the sun comes out, boy, it is spectacular. It is, you know, and that's just another, to me, it's evidence of God's greatness and oh, his creation. Oh, no doubt about it. Fantastic. Yeah, you know? Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> but I'm always impressed with area detail, how to get there, how long the trail is, this trailhead, that trailhead, this place... Uh, the time of year the caribou are coming through, uh, their willingness to go off the beaten trail, which is how this whole thing came to be. Absolutely, yeah. They were on the trail ahead of schedule and said, you know what, let's take a, let's take a boogie down the side of this slope and check this creek out, you know. Uh, most people would stay on the trail, am I right? 
Oh, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, you're already humping along, maybe huffing and puffing, wondering if you bit off more than you could chew. And these guys are like, "Ah, oh, this is nothing. Let's go down there and look around." No, I didn't know what we were gonna, what was gonna happen when you said they, you started to say that they came to the fork in the trail. Like I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it's just remarkable to me. And yeah. here, an observation: dead caribou, receding water. Perfectly dried up footprints in what was probably mud uh, when the river was up a little higher and the water was more saturated. Yeah, and and, and the violently soil. killed caribou, right? I mean, come on. This thing must have been like, I visualize a, 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 a critter leaning over in the water. Uh, didn't we do that account uh, up up in, New, uh, in Maine? Where the husband and wife in the canoe caught that uh, Bigfoot getting a jump on the moose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, I be- Basically I bet doing you- a body slam with the moose. I bet you this was the same type of thing. Could be. Jump it while its head's down, uh, disable it, break the neck, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, dinner. Yep. You know, I mean, it's a weird thing, but uh, their tactics... Mm. Uh, and their abilities uh, are probably not unlike a lot of other animals, right? Like a cougar goes for the neck. Uh, yeah, a they lion. know how to disable the prey, right? I mean, they yeah. learn it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Remember yeah. we were talking about over in Asia, the guys who hike through the woods, One, the last guy in line wears a mask of a human face on the back of his head? Oh, yeah, and I told you in Washington State when we would go mountain biking, down the mountain, we would put these eyes, sticker eyes, they would sell, and you put them on the back of your uh, mountain bike helmet because the cougars would try to pick off the last one in the line, but if you had these stickers on your helmet, the cougars would think you could see them, so they wouldn't do it. So there you go. So in Asia, these guys are putting a mask in the back of their head so the Bengal tigers don't get them. Yeah, same thing. And over there, the other lion, the mountain lion, thinks you're looking at him. Yeah, if you ever see folks mountain biking, like footage of it out there, they'll typically have these sticker eyes on the back of their helmet. You'll be like, what's that? You know. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know. It is weird, but it's like, no, that's it. It's practical. Wow. Save your neck. Save your neck, literally. Yeah. So there cool. you have it. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, pretty cool account. Lots of detail, lots of, uh, uh, you know, and this is why when people call me, Kev, to talk to me, I could kill an hour, an hour and a half on the phone. I I mean, I love the account. I love the account. And I I love anything in Alaska. You know, it's like Alaska, British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, northern Idaho, Montana. I mean, just having spent time out there. Holy cow. You know, it is the wilderness. Yeah. If these creatures are out there, this is where they are. Yeah, you would think so. You know, I mean... I mean, you know, uh, what can you say? You know, it yeah. is what it is. Take exactly. it for what it's worth. And to our Texas fans, I haven't been to the big thicket, but it's on the <laughs> list. So. I mean, it's on the bucket that's, list. Maybe that's the perfect place, too. I don't know. Yeah, just watch out for ticks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, kid. What do we got from our uh, listeners today? Yeah, Anything? we got some good listener mail. So the first one is from Devin. Uh, in Lake Tahoe, and he says, first things first, 
I'm really enjoying your podcasts. About seven years ago or so, I was also in the Three Sisters Wilderness area and have been some of the witnesses of which you spoke. We, being me and my friend Giles, experienced the sudden and unmistakable silence. It was after about 15 minutes had passed after we spoke about the silence that we heard what sounded like a huge tree crack and come crashing down in the woods just east of us. Well, that's all it took, and we were out of there as fast as our tootsies could move us. (laughs) (laughs) Devin, I like you. You're an honest guy. (laughs) I would have been just in front of you, Devin. Yeah. You know, uh, is that it? That's it. And then he just writes, great show. Yeah. You know, the tree getting knocked down. Mm. Now, I've heard this before. Uh, from different people, uh, could a tree have just lost its its strength or rotted out, and that was the moment in time that it just came down? Absolutely. But the timing about them realizing how still everything had become and speaking about it. Yeah, the forest doesn't get silent in anticipation of a tree falling down. Exactly. Yeah, just doesn't happen that way. Right. It, 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 one doesn't relate to the other. The silence is realized, and then, wah, boom, this thing comes down like, I'm watching you. Yeah, crazy stuff. Or like, stuff. get yeah. out. Mm. That is freaking crazy, man. <laughs> I'd be wow. running my tootsies off, too. Yeah, tootsies. I love the word tootsies. Is he from <laughs> Brooklyn? <laughs> hey, toots, what are you doing? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we're going to go from Lake, from Lake Tahoe to Utah to Pamela. And she says, I know a number of people who say that they have seen Bigfoot in Utah. All of them are extreme outdoor types, as you have spoken about so many times. It's easy to criticize when one is doing nothing but playing video games and sitting on the sofa. And I'm one of them. I believe having seen nothing for myself, I love you guys. Okay, so she's saying, I believe, even though I sit on the couch playing video games, just based on these, the stories from these extreme outdoorsmen. Yeah, and you know what, you know what else gets me about that too, Kev, is it's a self-debasing comment. Yeah. She's saying, I don't have what it takes to see them, but the people I know that have do. Yeah. And they're doing it, and I'm not, and that's why they've seen it, and I haven't. Exactly. You're not going to see it while you bring your recyclables out. Yeah, no. You know, I mean, you might, right? <laughs> I mean, you might. But, you got to be lucky. Right. Be Odds lucky. are, according to the other two guys that were up on that trail in Alaska, north of Fairbanks, uh, that's not going to happen. You no. know what I mean? And even they didn't see one. They saw footprints and evidence. No, they saw all the like, evidence of it. Right. But not the actual creature. Right. So you know. Now, who knows? The actual creature might have been right there looking at him, right? I Could mean, we be know in the they're area. super stealthy. Yeah. And, but, you uh, know, if, if you listen to the, uh, the Swede's comment about how far he was carried. Oh, yeah. Uh, these things, I got a feeling, Kev, their range is enormous. Yeah, well, there's not that many of them. 
Yeah. So I, when there's yeah. not that many of them, they got a bigger range. You know. Yeah, it's just uh, they they get around like it's nobody's business, you know. And uh, uh, what they consider a long walk is not a long walk. F- uh, what we consider a long walk is not a long walk. For no, them. and we see that in the animal habitat. You know, like I was reading about couple of months ago because we have owls here like you have owls and the territory of an owl here is pretty big you know i mean i guess not that big when you consider that they're flying but it's not like it's a hundred yards a hundred yard radius you know there's not that many owls like so they have a pretty big territory and they are territorial now do they estimate with the owls what their territory was but i i want to say it was like a couple of miles or a mile or something like that yeah, I mean, it's a big swatch of woods, big and there's plenty of, of stuff I mean, in there. Plenty of food here for an owl. Yeah. You know, even in a couple of hundred yards. You know, yeah, I well, mean, there's rabbits all over the place. Yeah, and that's how nature is, right? When we talk about what would Bigfoot eat. I mean, the, the stupidity involved in making such a statement, when you think of everything an owl could eat yeah. just in a patch of woods all year Which, round. by the way, we talk about the camouflage, Bill. I didn't tell you this, but uh, you knew I was out at the coast this week, right? I talked about fishing and that. Yeah. And um, the one morning I got up early to see the sunrise, right? So this time of year, it's painful to get up and see the sunrise you know, <laughs> <laughs> over the ocean. But I got up because it's always a treat, you know, unless you're greeted with the occasional cloudy morning and you miss the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking out my front window, and we have uh, uh, federal wilderness land across the street. You know, not not 100 acres or anything because it's right on the coast, but it's just protected land and it's federal and you can't go in there, you know. So so we got lots of critters, coyotes, okay. fox, I mean— you know, a lot, a lot of coyotes and fox because nobody can hunt in there. And, and you see the them? front window. The sun's not up yet, but you can see that glow. Yeah. You know, the pre-dawn glow. And uh, I'm looking down from the second story at like the grass across the street on the edge of the woods. And it looks like the grass is moving. You know, and there's plenty of light. Like, it's not like it's dark. Um, And I'm like, what the heck? Why does the grass look like it's moving? And it was a fox. And the fox's coloring was a perfect match to this burnt and brown and reddish grass. Yeah, that's amazing. Even though he was super close, but from two stories up, I could only see it because it was moving. But I couldn't tell it was a fox until he stepped out on the road. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah. you, you talk about these Bigfoot Sasquatch encounters, and it's like, you know, they don't have to have that much camouflage to for you not to be able to see them. No, and, you know, the stealth, the stealth of the creature. Yeah. You know, uh, now I have a new piece of evidence based on what that doctor said in Expedition Bigfoot. When she said that that 450-pound silverback gorilla was two feet away from her, and she didn't know it was there. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about that. Yeah. You want to talk about stealth. You want to talk about the ability, like, who's stalking who? Who's exactly. looking for who? No, that's crazy. You're looking for me? Turn your head to your left. Ah! <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's crazy, but we, we, we say, where are the Bigfoot? He was probably next to you while you were cooking sausages, and you didn't know it. <laughs> You know, really? I just, no, no doubt. Where was no the doubt. Bigfoot? No doubt about it. 
What do you think he's going to come out jamming ACDC chords on a Fender Stratocaster? I mean, that would be pretty cool, but I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, come on. A little problem child? <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. All right. So- our last letter this week, Bill, is from Stuart in Massachusetts. He says, well, I've listened long enough and decided to chime in. Your audio recordings are sublime. And one of them, you spoke of a woman seeing a Bigfoot launch across the highway in New Hampshire, Uh chasing a deer. As it turns out, the same thing happened to me near the Canadian border skiing in Maine. In the headlights and running on a bed of deep snow, this thing was unmistakable and more than a bit frightening. I didn't even hesitate as it leapt across the guardrail in pursuit. Bigfoot is real, whether or not anyone wants to believe it or not. Stuart. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, he's right. Jeez, uh, you know, I strain my brain when I'm reminded of certain things, but uh, there was a woman... Uh, I think she was in New Hampshire. Uh, I don't even know if she identified. Yeah, maybe she did. Massachusetts or New Hampshire. Right. Uh, That Bigfoot came across like a four-lane highway over the guardrails. Chasing a deer. Chasing a deer. Sure. I mean, think of that happening, Kev, at night driving your car. Yeah, well, again, it's a desolate place, so why not, you know? Sure, wow. especially I Maine, mean, close to the Canadian border, like where Stewart saw it. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd like to see that. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, imagine your heart would just, like, jump, like, whoa! Oof. You know, this thing busting it across the street, you know, a thousand pounds, eight feet, nine feet tall. I mean, it's got to just blow your mind. Sure. I mean, you know it's not a freaking jogger out for a midnight jog. No. You know, that's crazy. That's a cool way to see it, right? That's a a relatively safe way, right? Yeah, I mean, boom, boom, boom. What the, you know, and you pump the brakes and you turn your head and the thing's gone. Mm. Wow, that is crazy. Intense. Well, all right, Bill. Well, that's it for the week. So uh, first off, I want to thank everyone for the great reviews. They've really been coming in and thank thank you, all of you. And uh, please, at this point in time, you know, open up your favorite podcast player, the one you're listening on right now, and give us five stars because it's really important. The more five-star reviews we get, the more listeners are attracted to our podcast. And as we get more listeners, we can improve the quality of the podcast. And, you know, as some of you know who have been with us from the beginning, we are continuously improving the quality of the podcast. So thank you for those great five-star five star reviews. Keep them coming. Yeah, that's awesome, Kevin. Uh, good job with that account from 1924. That was cool. And, uh, folks, wear your masks. Do what you have to do. Together we can defeat this crap and get the monkey off of our back. And remember, if you happen to find yourself hiking around in the woods looking for a Sasquatch or wildflowers, always carry more guns than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.